Um, this is our Bible Institute. Um, so I think most of you know this, but I, I like it's always good to talk about. We have a Bible Institute. You can earn an associate's degree with us or a bachelor's degree with us. And um, it's all free. Not many places doing that. Never a charge. Uh, on our on our website now, we started this in January of 2014. On our website now, there's 117 courses. Um, some of those courses, we've gotten some from great places because we could find them for free on the Internet. And uh, um, we have, you know, different um, uh, ideas. Christian thought uh, in, runs in different tracks, which I think is important because you, if you, you need to know where everybody's coming from so we can love each other well. Uh, and uh, we have 950 students now. All over the world, that number keeps popping up now. It seems to be has accelerated a little in its um, thing. And doing great work. We've been blessed to award degrees in, in a lot of, uh, now in a lot of places overseas and see them doing very fruitful ministry. So it's exciting to be a part of that. You can take these Wednesday night courses as part of a course, classes if you'd like. Or you can just come in here and hang out. You don't have to do anything other than show up. But if you want to take them for credit, go online, get registered. And also our weekend most of our weekends wrap into a course, too. So we've been in a long series on Sunday, which I've got two more weeks left. And then um, that'll be the end of another course. So there you go. This, we're nearing the end of this one. We've gone from, uh, we're doing an Old Testament survey. And then we did the first uh, part of that course. That one's done. This is the second part of the Old Testament survey. We're going from Second Samuel to Second Kings. And then um, the next one we pick up, we'll pick it up there. We'll go from Lamentations through Malachi. So we'll be talking in the next one about the prophets for the most part. I think I started your notes this week with um, a listing of some more of the prophets. When we ended last week, we, um, I, I gave you some of the prophets and the dates when they ministered, when they were involved in their ministry, when they were prophesying, because I think it's very helpful to know what was going on in the history of Israel when the different prophets were doing their thing? Uh, and, and so we've been looking through the history of Israel now in Second Kings. And um, we, uh, we sort of talked last week. I believe we were at the point where, um, remember, the kingdom had split earlier on in the thing. There was the, the northern kingdom, the kingdom of Israel, and the southern kingdom, the kingdom of Judah. And you've had these two kingdoms running sort of in, in parallel. Um, through this period of time and um, in the kingdom of Israel it, there were always evil kings in the kingdom of Judah you had, you had mostly evil kings but every now and again a good king would pop in um, and that's the line that, that Jesus was going to come through that, that tribe so that kingdom remains intact and then um, last week if you said in 722 BC um, Assyria comes and drags Israel the kingdom of Israel off into captivity so that, that part of the kingdom is done just the kingdom of Judah remains for a couple of hundred years. And remember, we talked last year, and the Assyrians, when they, um, when they were taking over everything, what they would do is they would go into a, another country, and they would invade it, and they would occupy it, and they would take everybody out of there and move them into another place that they had previously occupied, and then they would take those residents out of there, and they would move them back into this place. Why they did it like that, I don't know, but that's just how they did it. And so they shifted people all over. the. That's kind of how they kept them moving, and that was their tactic in the process. But the kingdom of Judah has continued on um, from that point in time. And today we'll be, um, we'll be looking at about you know, 580 some BC when uh, the kingdom of Judah is also going to be taken into captivity, uh, into captivity. And now it's the Babylonians that are taking everybody captive. And um, the, the Babylonians would, they did it a little differently. They, they took 
everybody back to Babylon and they would just leave a very small remnant in place um, in the places they left. So that's what's happening historically. But uh, just so you know, what's going on is that uh, uh, I have listed there the prophet and then the king who's um, happening at that point in time. So Nahum is around 650 B.C. uh, during the time of Manasseh. Uh, Zephaniah, uh, Zephaniah 640 B.C., King Josiah. Uh, Jeremiah 627 through 580 B.C. And then Habakkuk. I just like to say Habakkuk because it's fun to say. Come on, you've got to admit it. You don't get to say things like that very often. 609 B.C. Daniel, most of you know Daniel, 605 to 536 B.C. Um, in, in, he was in Babylon. Ezekiel, 597 to 570. Haggai, 520 B.C. Zechariah, 520 B.C. And then Malachi was uh, 433 to 400 B.C. So Malachi would be the, sort of the last uh, of the Old Testament prophets, um, kind of. Uh, there's a comma. There's this silent period for about 400 years. And then, and then sort of the one I would call the last of the Old Testament prophets appears on the scene, and that's John the Baptist. And he, he's the one who comes preceding Jesus and sort of moves into that process. But uh, there's a, we head into that period of time. So around 580, the, um, the kingdom of Judah uh, is taken into captivity. And, and yet, they'll, at some point, they release them and send them back to Jerusalem. They're, they, they're in captivity in Babylon for about 70 years. Then they're released and they go back. But, and they start to rebuild some things, and there's some things happening over that period of time. But there's not a prophetic voice um, recorded for us for about 400 years. Sort of a, a very quiet time in history until, like I said, John the Baptist comes. And then Jesus comes on the scene, and we looked at that. So that's what's happening. We're in Second Kings 21. I got to read. Just going to have to read a, a, quite a bit of this because it's the best way to hear this story. So Manasseh was 12 years old when he became king. He reigned in Jerusalem 55 years. His mother's name was Hepzibah, and he did evil in the eyes of the Lord, following the detestable practices of the nations the Lord had driven out before the Israelites. He rebuilt the high places his father Hezekiah had destroyed. Remember, we had a pretty good king in Hezekiah who destroyed, you know, got rid of all this stuff. But now his son comes in and puts it all back. He rebuilt the high places his father Hezekiah destroyed. He also erected altars to Baal and made an Asherah pole. As Ahab, king of Israel, had done, he bowed down to all of the starry hosts and worshipped them. He built altars in the temple of the Lord. Of which the Lord had said, in Jerusalem I will put my name. In both courts of the temple of the Lord, he built altars to all the story hosts. He sacrificed his own son in the fire, practiced sorcery and divination, and consulted mediums and spiritists. He did much evil in the eyes of the Lord, provoking him to anger. So, not off to a good start um, for a (laughs) 12-year-old. So, look what happens. Well, actually, we find out what happens. So, so in our study of Kings, um, I'm spending time kind of being in depth in Kings because we're not going to, in our survey, go through Chronicles. But we find a lot of information about what's happening um, by the, there's pieces of information for us in the Chronicles. Second, Second Chronicles 33, 11 through 17, it says, So the Lord brought against them the army commanders of the king of Assyria who took Manasseh prisoner. And put a hook in his nose. 
I mean, that's horrible, right? Bound him with bronze shackles and took him to Babylon. In his distress, he sought the favor of the Lord his God and humbled himself greatly before the God of his fathers. And when he prayed to him, the Lord was moved by his entreaty and listened to his plea. So he brought him back to Jerusalem and to his kingdom. Then Manasseh knew that the Lord is God. So he has a pretty major humbling and he repents. Um, afterward, verse 14, he rebuilt the outer wall of the city of David, west of the Gihon Spring in the valley, as far as the entrance of the fish gate and encircling the hill of Ophel. He also made it much higher, and he stationed military commanders in all the fortified cities in Judah. He got rid of the foreign gods and removed the image from the temple of the Lord, as well as all the altars he had built on the temple hill and in Jerusalem, and he threw them out of the city. And then he restored the altar of the Lord and sacrificed fellowship offerings and thank offerings on it and told Judah to serve the Lord, the God of Israel. The people, however, continued to sacrifice to the high places, but only to the Lord their God. So Manasseh um, starts out horrifically, repents because of what happened to him, and, uh, and he ends better than he started. But it doesn't pass on to his kids. Ammon becomes king. Second uh, Kings 21:19. Ammon was 22 years old when he became king. He reigned in Jerusalem two years. His mother's name was um, Meshulameth, daughter of Haruz, and she was from uh, Jotba. And he did evil in the eyes of the Lord, as his father Manasseh had done. He walked in all the ways of his father. He worshipped the idols his father had worshipped, bowed down to them. He forsook the Lord, the God of his fathers, and did not walk in the way of the Lord. Ammon's officials conspired against him and assassinated the king in his palace. And then the people of the land killed all who had plotted against King Ammon, and they made Josiah, his son, king in his place. As for the other events of Ammon's reign and what he did, are they not written in the book of the annals of the king of Judah? And he was buried in his grave in the garden of Uzzah, and Josiah, his son, succeeded him as king. Second uh, Chronicles gives us a little more info on him. 33, 21 through 25. Ammon was 22 years old when he became king. He reigned in Jerusalem two years. He did evil in the eyes of the Lord as his father Manasseh had done. Ammon worshipped and offered sacrifices to all the idol uh, Manasseh had made. But unlike his father Manasseh, he did not humble himself before the Lord. Ammon increased in his guilt. Ammon's officials um, conspired against him and assassinated him in his palace. And then the people of the land killed all who had plotted against King Ammon, and they made Josiah the king, his son king in his place. Okay, so now Josiah, some pretty neat things happen with Josiah. And um, chapter 22 is where I'm at now, Second Kings 22. Josiah was eight years old when he became king. And he reigned in Jerusalem 31 years. And his, mother name, his mother's name was Jedidiah, daughter of Adaiah, and she was from Bozkath. And he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord and walked in all the ways of his father David, not turning aside to the right or to the left, and in the 18th year of his reign, King Josiah sent the secretary, Shaphan, son of Azaliah, the son of Meshullam, to the temple of the Lord. And he said, go up to Hilkiah, the high priest, and have him get ready the money that has been brought into the temple of the Lord, which the doorkeepers have collected from the people. Have them entrust it to the men appointed to supervise the work of the temple, and have these men pay the workers who repair the temple of the Lord, the carpenters, the builders, and the masons. Also have them purchase timber and dress stone to repair the temple. But they need not account for the money entrusted to them because they are acting faithfully. Hilkiah the high priest said to Shaphan the secretary, I have found the book of the law in the temple of the Lord. 
And he gave it to Shaphan, who read it. And then Shaphan, the secretary, went to the king and reported to him, Your officials have put out, paid out the money that was in the temple of the Lord and have entrusted it to the workers and supervisors of the temple. Then Shaphan, the secretary, informed the king, Hilkiah, the priest, has given me a book. And Shaphan read it from the, in the presence of the king. And when the king heard the words of the book of the law, he tore his robes. So there's been this huge period of time where they haven't um, been looking at the scripture. The very words that God had given them, they had, that's why all this mess had started taking place. They'd gotten away from reading the book and what was taking place. And um, uh, Josiah is going to be influenced by Jeremiah, the prophet, um, to restore true worship. But look what he does. Look at the reforms of Josiah. It's fascinating. Second Kings 23. After they found the book of the law, verse 4. The king ordered Hilkiah, the high priest, the priests next in rank, and the doorkeepers to remove from the temple of the Lord all the articles made for Baal and Asherah and all the story hosts. Because the book of the law says they shouldn't be there. He burned them outside Jerusalem in the fields of the Kidron Valley and took the ashes to Bethel. He did away with the pagan priests appointed by the kings of Judah to burn incense on the high places of the towns of Judah. And on those around Jerusalem, those who burned incense to Baal, to the sun and moon, to the constellations, to all the starry hosts. He took the Asherah pole from the temple of the Lord to the Kidron Valley outside Jerusalem and burned it there. He ground it to powder and scattered the dust over the graves of the common people. He also tore down the quarters of the male shrine prostitutes which were in the temple of the Lord and where women did weaving for Asherah. So you, you can see how far things have dis disintegrated. In the process, Josiah brought all the priests from the towns of Judah and desecrated the high places from Geba to Beersheba, where the priests had burned incense. He broke down the shrines at the gates, at the entrance to the gate of Joshua, the city governor, which is on the left of the city gate. Although the priests of the high places did not serve at the altar of the Lord in Jerusalem, they ate unleavened bread with their fellow priests. He desecrated Topheth, which was in the valley of Ben-Hinnom, so no one could use it to sacrifice his sons or daughters in the fire to Molech. He removed from the entrance to the temple of the Lord the horses that the kings of Judah had dedicated to the sun. They were in the court near the room of an official named Nathan Melech. Josiah then burned the chariots dedicated to the sun. He pulled down the altars the kings of Judah had erected on the roof near the upper room of Ahaz. And the altars Manasseh had built in the two courts of the temple of the Lord. He removed them from there, smashed them to pieces, and threw them to rubble in the Kidron Valley. The king also desecrated the high places that were east of Jerusalem, on the south of the hill of corruption, the one Solomon, king of Israel, had built for Ashtoreth, the vile goddess of the Sidonians, for Chemosh, the vile god of Moab, and for Molech, the detestable god of the people of Ammon. See, and that, so that, those date all the way back to Solomon. Remember how Solomon had gotten so far off track? Um, in, in not doing what the Lord had said. Uh, Josiah smashed the sacred stones and cut down the Asherah poles and covered the sites with human bones. Even the altar at Bethel, the high place made by Jeroboam, son of Nebat, who had caused Israel to sin, even that altar and high place he demolished. He burned the high place and ground it to powder and burned the Asherah pole also. So remember, that was the very start of the, when the kingdom split. Remember, Jeroboam was the one that kicked Israel off in the bad direction by building these false things, these false, you know, like cow, calf gods, and, and uh, took Israel off in a bad track. And Judah started better, but ended up moving in a bad direction. But 
it all happens because it's fascinating to me. They lost the, the word of the Lord. See, they quit listening to the word of the Lord. And that's what happens. And, and the enemy has tried to do that, continually tries to do that, even tries to do it today. He wants to keep us out of the word of God. He was successful uh, for long periods of time by making it written. It was in languages. It was, thank goodness it was kept for us, but it was not in languages of people that could understand. And so, it, you know, it was only the priests that could um, uh, to tell people what was in the scripture and if you got bad priests which always happens because over time evil creeps in everywhere not picking on priests but um, they lost it so that that you know never never forget how grateful we should be that the scripture is now available to us in, in a language that we can understand, that we have it in all sorts of ways and never take it for granted. Because now what happens is now we can all have it, we can all read it, we have all those things. In, in this great country, we can have, more, I have, I have lots of these hanging around on a shelf and I have it on my, you know, my iPads and on my phone and it's everywhere. But because it's everywhere, we can't ever take for granted um, that, that we step away from it and we, we have to read it for ourselves. You, you can't just allow other people to read it to you or, or teach you from it. You have to get engaged in it. You have to ask the Holy Spirit to illuminate it to you. You have to have that thing because it can start to get twisted very quickly in little ways. So, so that's why I'm always telling you, you have to read this book. You have to. It has to be a part of your life. As believers, you have to read it. You have to read it all the time. You have to ask the Holy Spirit to show you what's going on with it. You have to, when you don't understand, you need to dig deep. You need to study. You need to look and question. But this needs to be a part of our routine because um, we could, it could get out of our hands again. I mean, there's, there's, it could just sort of move its way out of um, being important. Well, this is what so-and-so says, or this is where we're at, or culturally now, Bible. And when they don't have it, look at what happens. And in fact, there was a 600-year gap from the Passover being celebrated. Josiah's going to fix it. But he's the first one, they're the first ones to celebrate Passover in 600 years. And if you remember, when we were working through our studies and, and, and Leviticus and, and um, where all these things are given down for us to, to, for the people of Israel to partake of, the feasts were there. Remember how important the feasts were? Um, and, and we still talk about them today because the feasts, the seven feasts of Israel, are, are a prophetic picture of Jesus and what he's done. And, you know, I tell you this all the time, that he's fulfilled the first four. He did the first three. The Holy Spirit did number four, Pentecost. There's three feasts left prophetically. And the next one is trumpets. And that's what we're waiting for. It's the end of the big harvest. And, and so he's, he's perfectly fulfilled the first four, down to the days when they were supposed to be celebrated. Uh, and uh, uh, they've happened just that way. And now, you know, we're in this harvest period. And when Jesus comes back at trumpet sound, that, that will be the beginning of the last three, which go very quickly once he comes back. But the, the, the feasts were to be celebrated, and, and if you weren't celebrating the feasts, you got in trouble, especially when you missed the one of judgment, and, and so, which is number six. So, um, so it took 600 years to get that back, and now it comes back, and, and they're actually going to get better at it in the exile. They get very serious in the exile in Babylon, and they, they, they start moving these things back, so it becomes part of them again. But Second uh, Kings 23... And this, was, uh, this would be around uh, 623 B.C. The king gave this order to all the people. Celebrate the Passover to the Lord your God. It is written in the book of the covenant. Not since the days of the judges who led Israel, nor throughout the days of the kings of Israel and the kings of Judah, had any such Passover 
been observed. So that's, that's one of those shocking things to, to, to realize what took place. For, that, that somehow for 600 years they got away from doing what they were supposed to do. But in the 18th year of King Jonah, uh, Josiah, the Passover was celebrated to the Lord in Jerusalem. That's a, that was a huge day. Finally, because that you know that the Passover it's, it's, it just brings things back. Remember the you remember the events of the Passover and what they were celebrating. Be taught them their children from generation to generation to generation, so they'd never forget about how God moved and rescued them uh, out of bondage and what it meant to to love God and to serve God and how how it left this and it like a generation and a generation it can be gone. That's why it's so important that we teach our children and teach them to teach their children. Josiah, though, is killed by Pharaoh Necho of Egypt in battle, 2 Kings 23:29. While Josiah was king, Pharaoh Necho, king of Egypt, went up to the Euphrates River to help the king of Assyria. King Josiah marched out to meet them in battle, but Necho faced him and killed him at Megiddo. Then we get another king, Jehoaz. 2 Kings 23:31 was 23 years old when he became king. He reigned in Jerusalem three months. It's not a not a good run. His mother's name was uh, Hamutal, daughter of Jeremiah. She was from Libna. He did evil in the eyes of the Lord, just as his fathers had done. Pharaoh Necho put him in chains in Riblah, in the land of Hamath, so that he might not reign in Jerusalem. And he imposed on Judah a levy of a hundred talents of silver and a talent of gold. Now, now you're around 609 to 598 B.C., 2 Kings 23:34. Pharaoh Necho made Eliakim, son of Josiah, king in place of his father Josiah, and changed Eliakim's name to Jehoiakim. But he took Jehoaz and carried him off to Egypt, and there he died. Jehoiakim paid Pharaoh Necho the silver and gold he demanded. In order to do so, he taxed the land and exacted the silver and gold from the people of the land according to their assessments. Jehoiakim was 25 years old and he became king. He reigned in Jerusalem 11 years. His mother's name was Zebida, daughter of Padiah, and she was from Rumah. And he did evil in the eyes of the Lord, just as his father had done. Second Kings 24, here we're about to meet Nebuchadnezzar comes. Here we go. That's the name you've all heard. Second Kings 24, during Jehoiakim's reign, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, invaded the land. And Jehoiakim became his vassal for three years. But then he changed his mind and rebelled against Nebuchadnezzar. The Lord sent Babylonian, Armenian. Moabite and Ammonite raiders against him. He sent them to destroy Judah in accordance with the word of the Lord promised by his servants, the prophets. Surely these things happened to Judah according to the Lord's command in order to remove them from his presence because of the sins of Manasseh and all he had done, including the shedding of innocent blood. For he had filled Jerusalem with innocent blood and the Lord was not willing to forgive. As for the other events of Jehoiakim's reign and all he did, are they not written in the book of the annals of the king of Judah? And Jehoiakim rested with his fathers, and Jehoiakim, his son, similar, became king. And he was 18 when he became king in 2 Kings 24. He reigned in another three-month reign. Uh, he did evil in the eyes of the Lord. And at that time, the officers of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, advanced on Jerusalem, laid siege to it. Nebuchadnezzar himself came up to the city while his officers were besieging it. Jehoiakim, king of Judah, his mother, his attendants, his nobles, and his officials all surrendered to him. And in the eighth year of the reign of the king of Babylon, he took Jehoiakim prisoner. As the Lord had declared, Nebuchadnezzar removed 
all the treasures from the temple of the Lord and from the royal palace and took away all the gold articles that Solomon, king of Israel, had made for the temple of the Lord. He carried into exile all Jerusalem, all the officers and fighting men, all the craftsmen and artisans, a total of 10,000. Only the poorest people of the land were left. Nebuchadnezzar took Joachim captive to Babylon. He took, also took from Jerusalem and Babylon the king's mother, his wives, his officials, and the leading men of the land. The king of Babylon also deported to Babylon the entire force of 7,000 fighting men, strong and fit for war, and 1,000 craftsmen and artisans. He made Mataniah, Joachim's uncle, king in his place and changed his name to Zedekiah. And then it just finishes up in Second, Second Chronicles 36, tells us that uh, all this happens, and you can go and read it, because God mocked all the prophets, or um, because the prophets of God were mocked. By the people, and they didn't listen to them. Um, throughout this whole season, when the people were so far off base, he, God kept speaking to them, telling them to turn, telling them to come back, telling them that they were far off, and they refused to listen, killed most of the prophets. And so um, the exile was really ended up how they got, he got their attention um, to, to bring them back. So remember how, how far he had gone to make them this land, this, give them this incredible land. And how, how quickly they got off track, really, in the scheme of things. And so, to to continue to be faithful to the covenants, he took had them taken captive. Um, but that that threat of redemption that we see in Genesis 15 continues throughout, and will still be there for us, fortunately, because that that lineage survives in Judah uh, until we can get to Jesus, and He can come and set everything right. That's enough for one night. That's a lot. But fascinating things in Kings, and, and we don't always take time to go through there. But now you've sort of got the history so that when we look through the prophets, you kind of know what was going on in that whole process. But we're done. If you're watching by video, thanks for watching, and we'll see you soon.